Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling, and Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks. And both of those gentlemen will be joining me later in the show. Chen, Min, uh, Chen Lin will be with me at about a quarter past uh, 3 o'clock here in New York, and Roger Wiegand uh, during the second hour of today's show. We do have a special introductory price for all three newsletters. Check with my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York for that lower-priced introductory offer. It's 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com. I should also mention that you can now follow me on Twitter, and I uh, my handle is Silverstocks, so you can look me up there, and uh, I will be trying to tweet to all of you from time to time, uh, letting you know some of the things that are coming up, uh, ideas that I have about the equity markets, uh, about stock picks perhaps, also uh, certainly about this radio show and some of the guests that will be coming on from time to time. I also would guide you to go to my website, jtaylormedia.com, J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R-Media.com. That's to access this radio show as well as all the other things that I am doing from time to time. I want to thanks, uh, thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to thank, of course, our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Bonanza Gold, Eurasian Minerals, Prophecy Platinum, and Rye Patch Gold. I would also like to uh, call your attention before we get started with today's show on a special event that is coming up in Tempe, Arizona. Um, this is going to take place, uh, oh dear, I've forgotten the dates here, I don't have it in front of me, 
but it will be, uh, you can call, this is in April, you can call in, uh, the number is 480-820-5877, uh, 480-820-5877. Uh, Roger Wiegand will be there, I will be there, Arch Crawford will be there, Ian McAvity will be there, and, and some other guests that we've had on this show from time to time will be at that event in Tempe, Arizona. It's always a great time. It's on a Friday and a Saturday, uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing you there. And before the end of this show today, I will get those dates for you, uh, the exact dates. Last week, uh, I mentioned that I had really kind of shaken up a lot of my subscribers when I suggested that they sell up to 75% of their equity holdings and build cash and I was suggesting that they retain their ownership in gold and silver bullion and that they uh, just build up their cash accounts, and those that are somewhat more aggressive might want to take some short positions to short the equity markets. Well, certainly that is never easy to sell. Selling always brings a great deal more wrath from my subscribers and from everyone else. People want to believe that the money they've put out into the equity markets will continue, uh, that, that it is going to pay off. Sometimes it's better to take your losses and admit you've made a mistake. I'm not admitting to making a mistake with respect to individual stocks so much as I just believe that the macroeconomic environment is not um, all that bright going forward. And I could be terribly wrong about that. My uh, partner, Chen Lin, and Roger Wiegand later today, I believe they both have uh, much more bullish views than I do. Um, well, we'll see who's right. I'm not trying to uh, to hold out uh, the notion that uh, I have all the answers. Certainly, that's why one of the reasons I love doing this show is that I'm able to have people with different ideas coming on uh, and expressing their views. What we really want to do is try to uh, uh, put our egos aside as much as we can and get it right for our own po- for the sake of our own pocketbooks and for uh, the good of those around us, our families, and so forth. Well, of course, I. You know, there are others, of course, that share that bearish view that I have taken. Uh, we had one of them on the show last week, Ian McAvity, and Arch Crawford also was on with us. Both of these gentlemen have very solid reasons, I think, for being very skeptical about the equity markets. So Mark Faber on, has been on this show in the past and just last week on Bloomberg. He, uh, Mark was talking also about his concerns about the equity market, whether we reach a new high for this cyclical bull market within a secular bear. Mark wasn't sure, but he seemed to be quite convinced that from May on, uh, the second half of this year, we're likely to see some very difficult times. Well, you know, all these bears could be wrong, for sure, and we could be on to a new bull market, and I want to hold open that possibility, for sure. Um, however, the views of Dr. A. Gary Schilling, who also was on this show once, and we hope to have him back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Gary was on Bloomberg Radio today at lunchtime here in New York, and he noted that there was an enormous amount of copper hoarding in China uh, and that the copper prices have been driven higher as a result of that. Uh, Gary also said that he fully expects the housing prices still have another 20% to decline in the, in the United States yet. There's going to be a huge number of foreclosures coming onto the market, uh, and uh, so that certainly doesn't give comfort to those uh, bulls, I would think, that are out there now. Uh, we, we keep getting a lot of very happy propaganda talk from the mainstream media, and why not? They have to sell their wares. It's very difficult to go on the mainstream media and be bearish about equities when those very companies are the sponsors to those shows. Um, I would also note that uh, just last Friday... Uh, in the Financial Times, 
they were noting that uh, that nothing is really uh, is has been fixed in Europe, and we're going to talk to Roger Wiegand in the second half of today's show about that as well. The European story we keep talking. It was just a week ago that the Financial Times was talking about. Um, they were mentioning uh, the uh, the problems with uh, with Asia or, or with Europe, and that the, those problems uh, were not getting any better. And I couldn't hardly believe I read that headline from Friday based on the sort of happy talk I heard in New York City here on Monday and how, you know, firewalls and new money and this and that were going to fix the problem. I don't really don't see it. Uh, it's very difficult for me to see that uh, given the fact that we keep piling more debt on top of debt. We seem to want to fix the problem with the very problem that we have, and that is debt. I should also mention, uh, with respect to the hoarding and driving up of, of uh, commodity prices, the Financial Times last Friday also noted that various countries are hoarding oil in great amounts because of their fear of a conflict uh, with Iran in the United States. Uh, so there are many things that are driving the prices up for the middle class, uh, the food and energy prices, which are such a big part of middle class existence. We are seeing a decline in the middle class, not only in America, I would argue, but also in Western Europe. We have come to believe that we are entitled to certain standards of living just by the fact that we are alive. We expect health care to take care of us. And right now, before the Supreme Court, some big, uh, big decisions will be made with respect to the to the constitutionality of the, uh, the Obama health care bill that passed. And we'll see where that goes. But clearly, Americans expect to get free health care and not pay for it. Well, lots of luck in the long run. As Ian McAvity pointed out last week, we are now a country in the United States where we have 49.5% of the people vote for a living, 50.5% of the people uh, are uh, working for a living. And clearly, if that tips over, uh, in the other direction with more people voting than working, uh, we have big problems. Well, I do think that we do have big problems already, and we're going to be talking about this problem of a declining middle class with James Otto. Uh, he is one of two main guests today. James will be with us for the first time. He is an attorney who has concerned himself with unfair labor practices by corporate America. To what extent is corporate, corporate America buying favors from politicians? To what extent is that causing the middle class uh, Decline. Who are the most anti-labor politicians and who are the most pro-labor politicians, according to James Otto? We'll ask him. And what should we do uh, as citizens to protect ourselves? We'll ask him that as well. Uh, no doubt from a slightly different perspective, Dr. John Coleman will be with us again. And he will, uh, in, his, uh, in fact, he's written a book titled the vanishing middle class, and those of you who have heard Dr. Coleman on this show before will not be surprised if he tells us it is a small group of very rich, powerful global interests that are sacrificing the middle class on the altar of a one-world government and the loss of national sovereignty that they propose with themselves, of course, in charge of the whole world uh, to, to manage it. Uh, how can each of us prepare to protect ourselves against the anti-middle class war warfare that is being waged uh, by the ruling elite? Well, again, we're going to ask James Otto, and this whole issue of sovereignty, I think, should be important to James uh, Otto, who is looking to protect the American worker. Uh, if, if indeed we are looking for a global world and one without borders, uh, without sovereignty, then what does it matter if America's middle class is declining uh, to levels of others around the world? Now, 
these are more theoretical issues that we'll talk about today, but we are also going to try to uh, have the rubber hit the pavement, as they say, and we'll be talking to Chen Lin after our break in just a couple of minutes. Chen has done an extraordinary job of investing his family's money, and the one account that we talk about all the time, because it's the one that I use and I look at, uh, Chen is a partner of mine. We use it to promote his uh, stock-picking uh, abilities. Chen took $4,300 of his wife's IRA in 2003 of January and turned it into $1.7 million at the end of last month. Chen always comes up with some unique investment ideas that few others have thought of. His latest had to do with a kind of a, sort of, it sounds sort of like a silly topic, happy chickens. I mean, the Europeans have figured out that they should um, pass a law to make chickens happy and, and not have so many of them crowded together. Well, that has had implications for the egg markets, and um, Chen is going to talk to us about eggs and about other markets where he is putting his money now, and uh, so we're going to really look forward to talking to Chen. And in the last hour, Roger Wiegand will be with me as well to talk about the markets um, and where he sees certain uh, resistances and certain support levels for some of the major markets. So we got a full schedule as always. Don't go away. we got to go to break, and when we come back, we'll be with Chen Lin. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains. Precious Metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters eurasian minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper the company currently has over 140 properties on four continents our joint venture partners have committed to spend over 15 million dollars on eurasian minerals projects in 2012 The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash. 
Creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, again, one of my partners, Chen Lin. Chen Lin uh, is probably known by most of my listening audience now, but for those of you who are not familiar with Chen, he was a, a doctoral student in aeronautical engineering, uh, was a prospect uh, uh, to gain a Ph.D., from that prestigious institution, but he was doing so well and investing his own money that he decided to focus on that instead. And I like to say that this is one way I believe that the fiat currency system really bids away talent from those functions in the in the world that would actually create a better life for most of us if you had Chen's brains figuring out how to build a better aircraft. But in fact, uh, the system, uh, and quite rightfully for Chen and his family, bids him away from that because he's been so effective in making money in the markets. Just to give you an example, uh, the one account, one of several accounts that Chen runs, but the one that he shares with me is his wife's uh, IRA account, and he took that from $4,300 in 2003, January, to $1.7 million at the end of last, uh, at, at the end of last uh, month. So, Welcome, Chen. It's really good to have you back. I, I always like to have you on because uh, I know you always have something unique to share. You know, if we don't want unique, we go to CNBC. We go to the mainstream media where you hear the same thing over and over again by the people that are sponsoring, uh, the people that are, uh, you know, trying to sell stock or whatever. You're not selling stock. You are just basically selling ideas and your letter is called uh, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Because what you do is go out and you research, find ways to make money, and then you tell others and you share that with your subscribers, people that pay for your service. But now and then, uh, behind, after the fact, of course, uh, this is a re- your regular service keeps people really up to date uh, in a timely manner. You send out many, many misses, sometimes multiple ones a week, telling people about alerting them to the latest events that are taking place. So now... I want to ask you about this whole thing called happy chickens in Europe. Happy chickens, and you found a way to make a happy profit from uh, the political view that we need to have happy chickens. Can you talk to our listeners about that theme? Oh, yeah. Well, but basically the reason was um, Europeans have implemented a law in January 1st of this year. Uh, they require, uh, you know, the, the chicken farms to, to increase the cage size dramatically. And then European, you know, in the middle of recession, those farmers have uh, no access to capital, so mm-hmm. they cannot do it. So instead of breaking the law, they just uh, kill the chicken. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that's a problem and become a very, very serious in the past few weeks that uh, the egg price more than doubled 
and uh, there's uh, even European the Egg Association in Europe in EU is is calling for emergency measurement. Otherwise, they could see, you know, the French uh, running out of croissant and the Italian running out of pasta. It's hmm. a very simple thing, very small thing, but you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to. Interesting. So now you found a couple of concrete ways to make money. There are two stocks I know that you've recommended. Would you like to share one or both of them with our listeners? Yeah, well, one is more direct. Is the Europe, uh, it, it, one is the largest egg producer in the world, independent egg producer in the world, is Carmine, based in the United States. The second is uh, the second largest egg producer in the world, is Avangard, is based in Ukraine. So uh, because Ukraine is the East European, so it's closer to the crisis. Mm-hmm. So actually the stock performed better than Kaomin. It's up 30% in the past two weeks since I mm-hmm. put in my newsletter. That, that stock really fly. Uh, Kaomin hasn't moved that much. It moved, moved not, not that much. So, uh, you know, they have an earning report. Just came out yesterday morning. wasn't so good. The stock take a beat, and but today has a nice rebound. Uh, but the thesis is like this. Okay, so they're having a crisis. The egg price more than double. One dozen egg, regular egg in EU, it costs almost five dollars, about five dollars US. So it's about organic egg range. So, uh, so basically, United States can ship potentially ship, you know, free range chicken egg and. You know, you can. You know, the Ukraine can also help them. So basically, that's 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 the idea came from. How soon, uh, Chen? Do you think that the market will stabilize? In other words, uh, if if the profits are big enough, presumably it will encourage an expansion of production in Europe. Or do you think that the European countries will just simply import eggs from the Ukraine and from the U.S.? Oh, it could. They they will. I think they they right now the margin is very high. If you if you have a qualified chicken, you know, qualified cage, mm-hmm. but uh, it takes about at least six months for 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 chicken to start the hen, start mm-hmm. to lay egg, mm-hmm. and then when you starting, it's a very young chicken, very small. They raise very small egg. If you want a jumbo egg, you have to wait a few more months. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they they just kill all the chicken. <laughs> so it's not like they can. Print egg, you know they can they can print something. There's something you cannot do. The people just need egg, so I think they're going to import it for a while. That sounds kind of funny to me, Chen. You know the unintended consequences of of policymakers. They want to have happy chickens, so it ends up all the chickens get killed a little early. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that chicken is uh, is happy chicken. <laughs> <laughs> But the consumers aren't very happy with surging prices. So do you see this as, as possibly a fleeting moment to make a profit? In other words, what I'm getting at is how long-lasting will these higher egg prices be and will profit opportunities be? We've got a six-month cycle. How long will it take for this to work its way through until we're back to some equilibrium again? Oh, it's not six-month cycle. I'm just saying if you start laying you know, start raising chicken today, the six months from now, you get more eggs, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to be logistic. You have to borrow money to get, you know, to have loan, to have cage, start, sure. you know. But logistics lasts a few, at least a few months. So mm-hmm. theoretically, I mean, people looking at the egg cycle is like a year or two-year cycle, and then they will say it will last most of this year, if not into next year. That's according to EU's own egg association. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just another example, folks, of how Chen Lin finds unique ways to make money. I mean, before uh, he picked on uh, paper pulp, figured out that the earthquake in China 
uh, or, or, sorry, the earthquake in Chile would would affect the paper pulp markets more than the copper uh, markets for sure. He was unique in that. Uh, he figured out that he could make money when Farmer Mac was not having bad loans, but the stock was taken down at, at a time when uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were, were taken to the cleaners. Well, so was Farmer Mac, but Chen said, wait a minute, the farmers are paying their loans. Let's jump on this, and he made a fortune. It's just an example, of folks, of how Chen finds ways, unique ways, constant ways. It's very interesting. And, Chen, you also like the uh, the oil markets very much here, too. Um, but you were very concerned. You were very concerned when we talked to you several months ago about uh, $100 oil you know, when oil climbed above 80 or $90, you thought it might choke off global recovery. Are you still concerned about that? It definitely have a negative impact for consumers around the world. Okay. Uh, I Personally, I believe, you know, $80, $90 oil is relatively fair price mm-hmm. because 80 90 will encourage exploration. But, you know, but you don't get those of extraordinary profit. Uh, right now, the company, oil company, I have own earning an incredible amount of money. But I don't think they need to earn that much, you know, to justify it. So mm-hmm. I would prefer I would prefer oil to stay around eighty to ninety dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I like oil is uh, oil is hard to uh, speculate, hard to manipulate. Harder, it's not impossible. It's harder than metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think you were talking about people can can warehouse copper? Mm-hmm. Uh, oil is much harder to warehouse. Uh, mm-hmm. You need a super tanker, and you still can. Only store a little bit of oil. So mm-hmm. oil, oil market I like more than base metal. It, it's because of the same very reason. Base metal easily you put them in the warehouse, then you manipulate worldwide copper price. With when J.P. Morgan was doing that for a while. So, but oil is harder, much much harder. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I, I know that Mart Resources and Pan Orient are two of your favorite oil stocks. Talk to us a little bit about Mart right now. What's what's in the What's coming up for Mart that you that you know about that the market is aware of? Well, Mart is just a, a super cheap play in, in Nigeria. It, it's trading at probably two times cash flow, but they can double their production, you know, triple, whatever. They just right now they reach the pipeline capacity. They're asking for more pipeline capacity, and then they're building their own pipeline. So uh, if they have their own pipeline built. Uh, they're probably trading at uh, you know half of their annual cash flow, something mm-hmm. like that. It's it's very very cheap. Uh, they're finding incredible amount of value. Uh, technically, company did everything they they you know they promised investors. They 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 did you know two years ago they made a promise and everything they delivered. So it's an incredible oil fund and a life sweet oil in Nigeria. And uh, tell us about Pan Orient. The powering is a little bit different. It's um, uh, it's more has more exploration risk. Okay, so basically they have a, a three properties: one in Thailand, one in Indonesia, one in Canada. Uh, the Thailand they just made a discovery. So if if you just value powering in the Thailand's assets under undervalued, uh, but however it's exploring one uh, one billion barrel equivalent. Okay, some gas, some oil. Uh, total is over one billion barrel of oil equivalent in Indonesia. So mm. they start drilling right now, I think. The, so they will have some results throughout the year. Think about that. The Petrobras, they made one billion barrel oil discovery. That was uh, the greatest in the past decade or something. They mm-hmm. were 
on news everywhere. <coughs> and this is a, a very small company for priority. They are looking also looking for one billion barrel of oil in Indonesia. So that, that, that if they're successful, you know, maybe we have a few dollar drop in oil price and yeah. gas become cheaper again. <laughs> so that that's something I'm quite excited. It's completely nobody is not in even in. Uh, uh, you know, even just in the Thailand asset, the company is very cheap. Okay, plus they have a Canada oil sand asset. Mm-hmm. And they have a dollar cash. They don't need to raise money, and they also have Indonesia. Yeah, big blue sky. So I, I feel it's uh, it's just incredible. I've been following the stock for five years. I, mm-hmm. I think it's finally it's a time to 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 jump in. Well, very interesting, Chen. We are out of time, unfortunately. Always uh, so much to talk to you about. Thank you again for coming on the show and talking to us about it and remind people that they can call Claudio Bossi in New York to sign up for uh, Chen's newsletter, a special introductory trial offer. Uh, an excellent service. He's going to be uh, keeping you aware of market changes uh, multiple times a week, more often than not. Thanks, Chen, very much uh, again for the uh, chicken story and the other ideas that you have. Folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to be right back with uh, one of our two main guests today, James Otto. Uh, He is an attorney who is involved with employee rights and a lot of other topics of social justice that we want to talk to James about. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time James Otto. 
James A. Otto. Uh, he's a former Marine Corps officer uh, in the 1970s. Uh, he is an attorney based in Northbridge, California. He has an MBA with an emphasis in finance from uh, National University in San Diego, California, and a law degree from Southwestern School of Law in Los Angeles. Having become a member of the California Bar, licensed to practice in federal and state courts, and over the past 24 years, he has handled over 1,000 cases in many areas such as appeals, businesses, uh, business employment practices, financing, housing, personal injuries, med, uh, mediation, and trials. My goodness, he's, uh, uh, James, you've had quite a background. From 1996 to 2002, he worked for the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, prosecuting violators of uh, California's civil rights laws in both employment and housing. In 2003, uh, James opened his own law office in Northbridge, California, and presently he's developing new legal theories uh, about how to protect American workers and green card holders from national origin discrimination. So uh, welcome, James. It's really good to have you with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, really interesting. I, I think we should, before we start talking, probably let people know what your website is so they can follow your work. It's lawofficeofjamesotto.com, and that's spelled O-T-T-O, lawofficeofjamesotto.com, right? Correct. That'll get people into following. There's uh, plenty of things there, a lot of information put up on on your website about uh, about labor laws and so forth um, uh, that you are very much involved with right now. Well, as I see it, you are really involved in... And I think it's interesting because you do have a background in business. So you have a background, you know, with an MBA and all of that. But you are very much involved with issues with I would consider to be issues of social justice. Uh, and as an American Marine Corps officer, you you no doubt believe that was part of what you were serving your country for. But I would like to ask you if you could share maybe a little bit about your upbringing, your childhood, uh, where you came from. You know, I was brought up in Ohio, in, in Canton, Ohio, that area of, of the country. My father was a machinist, uh, clearly a, a middle-class, uh, working-class neighborhood that I grew up in. Uh, so, And I think it has a lot to do a lot of times with what we, you know, how we think when we get, when we get older and we become adults. So would you care to share some of your background with our listeners? Sure, I could do that. I, I uh... My dad was in the U.S. Army, and we, we traveled around a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he served in uh, World War II, and he served in Korea. And uh, he decided he didn't want to make his first tour to Vietnam because, you know, the, his sons were, you know, we started getting to that teenage years. And sure. And he thought it was better to, to hang out at home. Mm-hmm. We were probably more dangerous than anybody else he'd meet overseas. But, uh, you know, he, he, was, uh, he believed in hard work, and he, mm-hmm. he sent us all out to... To our first jobs at 13, which was, you know, picking lettuce uh-huh. in, the, in the fields of Salinas, California. You know, Salinas is known as a salad bowl capital. Uh, yes. It grows more lettuce and salad than almost anywhere else. And mm-hmm. so the first couple of summers through high school, I, I picked uh, lettuce, transplanted celeries, uh, picked strawberries and things like that. Worked wow. in the food coolers, you know, when, when the food is picked, it comes into a cooler and it's cleaned and put into big crates and such mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, you know, from there, I, I just graduated working. Uh, I went to college, and I would come back in the summertime. I work probably two or three jobs in the summer to earn, you know, my money to, to pay mm-hmm. for college. I mm-hmm. drove a, a truck 
for uh, an oil truck mm-hmm. around the Salinas Valley, delivered oil and, and products to uh, the farmers. Uh, worked uh, for the city or county tree crew, driving mm-hmm. around Monterey County and, and cutting down dead trees. Um, then uh, after college, I, I uh, um, went into the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and I spent four years in the Marine Corps and, uh, and uh, in beautiful downtown Oceanside, California, of all places. Oh, okay. Uh, but it was a very, very wonderful experience uh, mm-hmm. serving my country. And and uh, you know just standing ready in case anything happened, and uh, you know I guess fortunately for me it was the Jimmy Carter era, so I uh, nothing happened, you know. Yeah. And then I, I got out of the Marine Corps and I went to, to school. I went to National University, got my MBA, went overseas to Hong Kong and uh, did some work for uh, commodity trading firms. Hmm. Decided I'd open up my own office, and uh, I spent about three three and a half years, maybe four years overseas. Uh, in trading, just mm-hmm. you know, buying goods like leather goods and and Bangkok. Oh, interesting. Trading yeah. them for canned goods in the Philippines and selling those to the merchants in uh, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Actually, one product I, I I found was a U.S. dollar counterfeit detector, manufactured in Osaka, Japan, and uh, and that sold very well throughout the Southeast Asia. Oh, um, interesting. Then I decided I'd, I'd come back and and get into uh, uh, law school, but you know. It's a long process, applying for law school, getting accepted, and mm-hmm. such things. So I worked uh, for a while with a Dillingham Construction Company. They're a very large. They do very large projects, you know, like dams and airports and such. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I, I worked with them on BART, with the Bay Area Rapid Transit, you know, the, the subway system. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sure. So, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they also did the repaving of the Golden Gate Bridge, and I worked mm-hmm. on that. Um, but then law school started, and... Uh, I went to Southwestern Law School and, and uh, started off working for an insurance defense firm. Uh, then decided I, I would rather do something that's closer to working with people mm-hmm. as opposed to insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided I'd, I'd get into civil rights and mm. employment civil rights is where mm-hmm. I've settled down. And that's what I do now. And mm. uh, it's, it's really brought me into a very, very interesting topic. Well, I would guess it is. And um certainly at a time when, when the corporate state is seemingly on the rise and uh, having more and more influence in the, in the corporate world. I, wanted to, I was just wondering, as you talked about being a lettuce picker when you were a kid, were, I guess a lot of migrant workers do that work, right, in California? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I had a lot of exposure to, to migrant workers. Mm-hmm. Some were probably illegal and, and some weren't, but mm-hmm. you know, they're all just, uh, just people trying to earn a living. Exactly, they're just people trying to earn a living, and so that's it gets us into the you know the the human side of this equation. And I think probably, I mean, one of the reasons I asked the question was because uh, you know that to me, if you had been born with a silver spoon in your mouth like a George Bush or a Mitt Romney or, or probably some of the leading Democratic candidates as well, you would you might not see the world the same way as having worked out there with the migrant workers and picking lettuce and, and going through some of the other hard labor jobs that you've done as well. It certainly uh, has, would have something to do, I would think, with the way you view the world and how, how people have to uh, survive. Well, um, you note on your website that American jobs have not gone away. They are, they are still here. It's just, I guess, that they are being performed by people who are not Americans. Is, is that right? That's it. Um, you know, I was, I was hired a couple of years ago by uh, about 22 uh, U.S. workers who had just been fired from a 
Molina Healthcare. Molina is a very large, uh, uh, I guess you call them HMO, Mm -hmm. because they provide these health services, but they they provide only to people on uh, Medicare or Medi-Cal, Mm -hmm. some type of uh, government-sponsored program, and uh, they're in they're in most of the state, most most of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but they decided, Melina decided that uh, they didn't want to hire Americans or U.S. workers anymore. Mm-hmm. So they teamed up with this company called Cognizant Technologies. Cognizant is a U.S. corporation, but it's owned and operated by Indian nationals. Mm-hmm. And um, because it's traded on the stock exchange, you, do they have to publish a 10K report sure. that tells the public what their business plan is, their business model, and the risks to the business model? And you read that. You can get on the Internet, and they actually say that what they do is uh, recruit Indian students, nobody else, Indian students, import them into the United mm-hmm. States to replace U.S. workers, not mm-hmm. supplement, but to replace U.S. workers, and they readily admit that the vast majority of all their employees here in here in North America are Indian nationals, and mm-hmm. they view as a risk to their business the, any rule or law, American law, that would require them to hire U.S. workers. So, uh, so there's a, a big, big business. There's, you know, Cognizant is actually maybe the fifth largest of what, are, what is known as a body shop. A body mm-hmm. shop is just like Cognizant. They, they are U.S. corporations, but they're owned and operated by foreign nationals. Mm. And their sole business is to import uh, foreigners into this mm. country and replace American workers. And what was really shocking to me is, you know, I, I went and, and checked out um, the statistics published by the Department of Homeland Security, which is the agency that counts every single body that's entered into this country and the reason why they, they're entered into the country, and then they publish it in, a, in an annual uh, yearbook. And um, it was really quite shocking that when I found out that in 2000, between 2007 and 2010, right, when the United States was in a huge, huge recession, a very mm-hmm. deep recession, and over 13.5 million Americans lost their job, it just shocked me to find out that U.S. corporations imported imported over 8.5 million immigrants wow. to take U.S. jobs. Hmm. Uh, I was really, you know, floored by that. Hmm. And so I started to investigate how this is done, you know, why it's done and how it's done. And I didn't have to look too far. There's, there's a lot of government publications. The Government Accounting Office puts out a, an annual investigation every year telling, you know, the government and the world exactly how they do it. Uh, and, and so from speaking from the GAO report of January 2011, what happens is the U.S. corporations decide they're not going to hire Americans anymore, mm-hmm. and they want to import. And so uh, in the immigration code, there are these 16 employment preference visas that, we, that they, these businesses depend on. And so they tell the uh, Secretary of Labor uh, that there's – no American available to do mm. this job. They tell, they swear under oath that they're not p- bringing in this immigrant to replace an American, our currently employed U.S. worker, and they swear under oath that these immigrants are going to be paid exactly the same or more as the American counterparts. Mm. Well, all three are, are, of course, lies mm. because they, in fact, bring these folks in 
for the exclusive purpose of replacing Americans, and they pay these immigrants maybe 20 to 30% of what uh, their American counterparts are making. But worse yet, they, these, these immigrants come in and they, they work under slave conditions. You know, they're not pay, paid enough. Um, they're, they're, um, they have to live six to eight people in a room. Uh, they can't afford their own car. Uh, they have to work. They're forced to work overtime anywhere from 12 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week, no breaks, no, uh, no health care benefits. You know, if they get hurt, they get sent home. <laughs> so they arrive home, you know, still hurt and, and too bad. And no income. And no income, right? Right. And they're not paid overtime for all of this. So there's a huge financial incentive for U.S. corporations to just import immigrants and fire Americans. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened you know, during the, during the recession, over 8.5 million jobs were lost to these immigrants. That's incredible. Uh, well, let, let me ask you, the name of this company is Cognizant, and what is the symbol? They, must, they trade on the New York Stock Exchange? Correct. And do you know what the symbol is? Honestly, I don't. Well, we can look it up. Anyway, Cognizant, it's called Cognizant? Cognizant Technology Solutions. Interesting. It's certainly an interesting story. I think I'd like to follow up on it just out of curiosity. How? Where are most of the immigrant workers coming from? Um, are they coming from India? Where are they coming from? Well, actually, um, the number one supplier of uh, these these uh, employment preference visas are coming from Mexico. They're mm-hmm. coming in. Uh, gosh, you know, I just went blank. I think about six. Hundred uh, to seven hundred thousand a year. Well, wow. and mm-hmm. then, um, then India is mm-hmm. comes in second. So they're they're around about five hundred thousand a year. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then uh, it, you know it, China, who you would who I would have expected to be high up, you know, in the, in the rankings, is actually fairly low in the rankings. Mm-hmm. We, we we import maybe about forty to fifty thousand Chinese mm-hmm. uh, a year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there's also a, a spattering of, of people from uh, from Europe, you know, from the European countries. Mm-hmm. And um, but um, the, the vast majority, you know, come from. If you add up all the Asian countries, the vast majority come from Asia. But like I said, there's also a huge amount that comes from Mexico. Mm-hmm. But these folks, you know, I, I just wanted to mention, just so we know what we're talking about here. These these immigrants are all. Brought over by corporations. Mm-hmm. There's three, basically three categories or three types of immigrants, right? There's an individual who lives in some foreign country, decides he wants to come to the U.S., mm-hmm. files a petition, you know, with a U.S. consulate overseas, mm-hmm. and then sometimes they don't wait to get all their documents. They come here without their documents mm-hmm. as an illegal or undocumented alien, mm-hmm. and then those folks who wait to get their documents, come over with documents, and, and they're the legal aliens, our green mm-hmm. card holders. But the third category of individuals, they can't even apply. It has to be a U.S. corporation who decides that they don't want to hire any more U.S. workers and then imports these workers to replace Americans. And the reason they're employment preference visas is because if the individual applies, they have to wait, you know, five, ten, fifteen years to get a yeah. visa. Mm-hmm. These these folks brought over by corporations come over in seven days. Wow! And then they get pushed to the head of the line for their green cards. Hmm. So, um, 
So it's really a very, very big preference for these individuals. But again, you know, the immigrant coming over is, is just somebody who's trying to work. Sure. Uh, who's just trying to earn a, a dime, so to speak, uh, but gets taken. I mean, the, the living conditions are horrible. And uh, quite frankly, and what I've seen, unsanitary. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and they're just simply not getting paid what they mm-hmm. deserve to be paid. But also, you know, a, a victim of all this is are the U.S. workers who, who get fired mm-hmm. uh, for no reason. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, then they're out of a job and usually out of a career. Well, you talk about how these companies will basically lie about, um, you know, they can't find American workers, and so they'll bring in foreign workers. Um, and I'm wondering, while you're telling me this, where is the Labor Department? Isn't their job to ensure that uh, labor laws are enforced? Well, um, yeah, the Secretary of Labor, that's that's her job, or used to be her job. Um, we'll, we'll quickly interesting historical aspect is that uh, these employment preferences were created in 1990 by an amendment to to, uh, to the immigration code and initially there were protections for Americans uh, if you were fired uh, and replaced by one of these immigrants there was a mm-hmm. place to complain you'd go to the Secretary of Labor then between 1995 and 2000 Congress passed amendments further amendments eliminating all protections and what I found most shocking was comes from the trial, the criminal trial of Jack Abramhoff, who was, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, political uh, influence peddler, uh, who was employed by uh, Bill Gates II. Mm-hmm. Who Bill Gates II, of course, is the father of Bill Gates III, who is the owner of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Jack Abramhoff was a lobbyist whose job was to funnel money to congressmen to buy their influence. And uh, from the trial, the, the testimony that was admitted at, at his tri- criminal trial is that he funneled between 80 to 100 million U.S. dollars from Microsoft and other corporations to Congress to get three amendments passed to the Immigration Code, which just eliminated all protections for U.S. workers. It's incredible. Uh, and, and, you know... What I'm really shocked about is they send Jack Abramhoff to, to jail, but what about all the congressmen who are taking the money? We don't mm-hmm. know who they are. That got sealed. It was sealed, so nobody's going to ever find out, at least not for the next 50 years. But, um, so, so then George Bush II gets elected in you know, 2000, and he sits down with uh, Mitch McConnell, the ranking Republican, and they decided to they decided they're going to hire a lady named Elaine Chow as mm-hmm. the Secretary of Labor. Now Elaine Chow is and was the wife of uh, of Mitch McConnell. That's right. Interesting side note, but uh, she was put to work dismantling all oversight of this these uh, employment preference visas. And in 2005, she published the Department of Labor's strategic report for 2006 to 2011. In it, she states that according to uh, uh, the opinion in, of the Department of Labor is that American work, uh, workers can be replaced with impunity by U.S. corporations. They have no right to complain. And, of course, all the oversight was already dismantled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, then, and then Ms. Chow goes on, in the next 35 pages to explain the tens of billions of dollars that will need will be needed to to uh, retrain 
and retool the displaced American workers. Mm. So, uh, but of course, it's all just George Bush and uh, the Republicans, because uh, the present administration uh, is, you know, goes along with all this stuff too. Sure. Uh, you know, on December seventh of last year, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, pu- uh, published a press report out of the U.S. Embassy in Mumbai, India, uh, stating that the U.S. will now accept all of these labor condition applications in an unlimited number. So no longer will there be any border, so to speak. There will be unlimited numbers of immigrants, workers coming into the United States to take U.S. jobs. And that's where we are now. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a theme that is not shocking to people that listen to this show on a regular basis because we've had other people uh, in slightly different areas of government um, uh, and, and related to government uh, laws and so forth, talking about how large corporate interests are dominating the, the scene. I'm wondering that 80 to $100 million that went in there from Abramoff, uh, was that for campaign contributions primarily, or, or how did it get in there? It was just is, is that what it was, campaign contributions? You know, I, I I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I saw was, you know, uh, a summary of the uh, of the testimony, and uh, it's in Exhibit Forty. If, mm-hmm. if anybody cares to go look, but uh, well, yeah, I don't know. So the the point is that money is getting into the hands, whether it's for campaign contributions or what have you. And now the Supreme Court has recently ruled that corporations are people, so we can have unlimited amounts of money going into. And we're seeing this in the primary campaigns as well. We're certainly big money more than ever. It seems to me, you know, we have a Tea Party uh, uh, Tea Party revolt. We've had a an Occupy Wall Street revolt, and it seems to me in many ways that the Tea Party people that talk about uh, no taxation without representation, that maybe uh, maybe that's where we're at again. I mean, do the people have representation? It doesn't seem like it to me. It seems like large corporate interest. I mean, indirectly, if I'm a shareholder, and I guess a lot of the Republicans will argue or that, uh, you know, the pension funds indirectly, uh, they own stock in, in corporations, so therefore the common folks are indirect beneficiaries of corporate interests. But but I mean, do we have we lost our representation in Washington? It seems like we have. I think I'd agree with that. Um, it's it's more about buying uh, representation than it mm-hmm. is about electing representation. Uh, you know, the more money you have, the more influence you have, and therefore you've got a greater share of representation. Um, it's it's you know just talking about the, this immigrant uh, this you know this employment preference visa issue. There's only two members of Congress who care, uh, you know, Chuck Grassley out of Iowa and, and Dick Durbin in mm-hmm. Illinois, and everybody else simply doesn't care. I mean, Diane Feinstein from California, she's just been uh, declared the richest person in Congress, and guess who she represents? You know, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, the, probably the biggest importer of immigrants in this country. Interesting. So, yeah, so, you know. Well, it is interesting. I, uh, I'm i not sure to what extent uh, my wife and I, we have a son who's just moving out to Silicon Valley, and he's he's uh, one of a few Americans. I think most of them are Asians, whether they're, uh, what, what their immigration status is, I'm not sure, but he's one of, I think, 11 people in the company were moved out to Silicon Valley. They were acquired by a bigger company, and he is a programmer. 
and most of his buddies, I think eight of the 11 are, uh, are, are of uh, Asian descent. But anyway, I want to ask you about um, what is H-1B-1, the H-1B-1 program, if you could just uh, explain you know, briefly what that, what that program is about. Okay. Well, again, Congress created 16 different categories, and the H category are supposed to be for the highly skilled specialized occupation. H-1 uh, are just subcategories. You know, H-1B-1 uh, is, uh, you know, just uh, regular workers, college-educated regular workers. H-1B-2 uh, are nurses. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's uh, another category for models, you know, uh, fashion models, movie mm-hmm. stars, such things like that. So uh, okay. then there's the, you know, the AL categories, uh, the B mm-hmm. categories. Uh, these are supposed to be short-term business visitors come to seminars and just come and, and, and stay for, for you know, a long weekend mm-hmm. or a long convention and then go home. Uh, but the body shops are, are you know, abusing that. Um, so, you know, so we, we're, unfortunately, we just on, uh, only have about two minutes left. I want to ask you, though, uh, so there are laws on the books, essentially, still, that would protect the American workers. It's just that they're being they're being abused, and there's ways around them. You know, I think it's, it's excellent. I would like to just mention to our listeners again that they should go to law office um, law office of James Soto, uh, James Otto um, dot com, and there's an excellent uh, video. There's several of them. There, one that I watched talks about instructing companies how to get around the laws, how essentially to lie to get around the laws that are on the books. So there are laws on the books yet. It's just that that the Labor Department doesn't enforce them. Is Correct. that right? Or they've been repealed to an extent as well? They've been repealed to an extent, and what's left, the uh, Secretary of Labor isn't going to enforce. Uh, the only way to, to protect yourself or to, you know, to enforce the laws, you have to go to the civil rights laws. All of these uh, body shops are are showing a preference. They're not just showing, they're enacting, they're conducting a preference for uh, workers based on national origin, and that's illegal, both on the federal level and on the state level. And when, you know, for example, like I said, with, with Cognizant, they come right out and say they only want to hire Indians, and, you know, that's, that's not legal. Yeah. Like, well, it's a fascinating topic. I'm really sorry that we're out of time. There's so much more I wanted to ask you about. We certainly, the quality of labor is one thing too. We've we've lost uh, higher-paying manufacturing jobs. Uh, I'm involved uh, to a certain extent with the mining industry. I see mining as a wealth-creating industry and lots of high-paying jobs. And with that comes a lot of other jobs. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about regulatory issues. You know, the balance between having a clean environment and uh, you know, and a responsible uh, policy with respect to exploiting our natural resources for the good of everyone, that, that kind of thing I wanted to get to. But you clearly are on to something here, uh, James. I'm really glad that we had you on. Maybe we can have you back sometime to talk more, but I'd really like our listeners again to go to Law Office James so- Law Office of James Soto, James Otto, I'm sorry, dot com, uh, to really check out your work and to follow up on it because I think it's really worthwhile. And I thank you very much for coming on today, and maybe we can have you back again sometime soon. Anytime. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the top of the hour with Dr. John Coleman, and he's going to have some more ideas about the uh, the demolition of the middle class. He's written a book called The Vanishing Middle Class, so we'll be talking to John Coleman as soon as we come back after uh, the top of the hour break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters avino silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012 avino resumed production at its historic avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. <laughs> 